Pearson Ravitz story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. Can you improve your doctor-patient communication in just 10 minutes? Well, probably not, but can use that 10 minutes to develop a framework for reflecting and improving. Yes, definitely. Find out how. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. On today's episode, we have Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. She is the president and founder of Health Communication Partners and host of the podcast, 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. She's been podcasting longer than me. I've been podcasting since 2018. She started in 17. Her company helps people and organizations in health and digital health to advance equity by improving communication and education with diverse groups, with research-based improvement processes. We love evidence-based everything on this show. And she's a doctorate in education focused on language, literacy, and education from my alma mater, Penn. And on today's interview, she's also going to help me improve my patient communication in 10 minutes, as her podcast is called. So, Dr. Liebel, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Dr. Block, thanks for inviting me. It's delightful to be here. So tell us about Health Communication Partners. Oh, uh, thanks. Well, yeah, I'm a communication specialist, and my organization helps advance equity. We do consulting. We do courses. I have online hybrid courses. And it's really about patient experience. It's about shared decision-making. All of this is to advance equity, because I think everybody knows what we're trying to do here is reduce avoidable health disparities. Yeah, and on a recent episode of yours, I heard Raj Sundar, who was on this show not that long ago, you know, love what he's doing with equity, with understanding people from diverse cultures. So for those who haven't heard it, check out his episode on my show and her show. He's great. Absolutely. Raj is just fantastic to listen to, and he's someone who really, he walks his talk. So it was definitely great having him on the show, because it's I think we're all, like the penny has dropped, we're all in the space where we know that we can't just have one-size-fits-all communication for patients. That's one of the things that I was intrigued about. You and I were talking a little bit pre-show about how doctors have to come up with their, the kind of the pat thing that they say over and over again, and how that kind of frees them up to be paying attention to other things. I think that's pretty important. So I'm hoping that we can talk about that later. You're asking me about what does my company do? And it's, what makes it different is that I think what people maybe don't have a chance to stop and think about is that there are different research approaches to communication. 
So there are different research bases, there are different tools, there are different orientations. And some of the research traditions are particularly well suited for dealing with questions of culture, dealing with questions of power, dealing with questions of contexts. And that's the tradition that I come from. And it's also about the term reflective practice. I think people are more familiar with now than they used to be. The idea that we're being intentionally reflective on our own work. So reflective practice is what I bring to this as well. And I think people come to me that tends to be for either, yeah, we need to talk culture and power and you're good at it or really into reflective practice and that's your jam. So if there's something that people are not hearing everywhere else, it's probably that from me. So reflective practice, can you describe that in a little more detail? Well, it's a broad umbrella term. It refers to many ways of reflecting and many ways of thinking about practice. The particular one that the particular form of reflective practice that I use is from my mentor, University of Pennsylvania, Susan Lytle, and her longtime collaboration partner, Marilyn Cochran Smith. And they developed this form that they call inquiry or inquiry stance. And it's a form of practitioner research. And that is we're encouraging people who are practitioners to research their own practice, to research their own work. And that's how I approach communication as well and patient education. We're reading research, we're finding out what the experts are telling us, yes, and we're also asking questions about our own practice, collect data on our own practice, and using that locally relevant information to make ourselves better at what we do. Okay, so is it that those who use reflective practice are like someone who is helping someone else to look at their own communications or, you know, are you using that on yourself or both? Oh, super. Yeah. The way that the reflective practice tradition that I come from is definitely both. So I'm going to encourage people to reflect and I'm a reflective practitioner. I have to walk my own talk and I also help other people reflect. But reflection, it could be done a whole lot of different ways. And I should absolutely make clear that equity and justice are at the center of the ways that we reflect in this tradition, the inquiry stance. So can you give us like a framework for reflecting on our own communication styles? I sure can. It's the form of my show. Anyone who's a guest on my show, I always ask the same four questions. It is by nature, like if you're going to be on my show, you're going to be reflecting with me. So I also try to make like a safe space and a warm space so that people feel safe reflecting so that they know that I am not out to get them, that I am there to support their interrogating of their own kind of inner worlds and some of the questions that are important to them. So I could try it with you, like the four questions yep. that I ask everybody. Are you up for that? Okay. So actually, before we even get to that, can you just go through what those four questions are just so the listeners can hear them in like in a more condensed way? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Thanks. Because I'd appreciate kind of telling people like why these questions. And the first one is, tell me a problem or an issue in patient communication or education that you are facing. Now, that is core to how I practice reflective practice. I am prioritizing what is important to you, right? I am asking you to be an expert on your own thinking, even in that moment. So, you know, what is something that is important to you? Because I want to tell you that's important to me, too. That sounds a lot like motivational interviewing. Like in motivational interviewing, you'll identify what's important to the patient and like reflect it back to them. And actually reflection is one of the core tenets of motivational interviewing in a way that helps them to 
be motivated to accomplish whatever it is that they want. You're not using your reasons to help them change a behavior. You're using their reason. You're helping them kind of clarify their reasons. That sounds very similar. I have had people draw parallels to it before, for sure. You're absolutely right. The second question is, you know, how are you facing this issue or problem? Because sometimes it is a problem, but sometimes it's just an issue. It's something persistent that's not really going to go away. It's just going to be, how are you managing it? This question is, how are you dealing with it? I'm not expecting a certain kind of answer. I'm not coming at this with the expectation that there is one right way. And I'm waiting back here in the wings to see if you're going to say it. Like, no. How are you dealing with this? And that is another reflection question. Stop and think, wait, how have I been dealing with this? What have I been doing? Giving yourself the room, the chance, the permission to articulate to yourself what you've been doing to address something. The third question is, what are you learning from facing it this way? And Because really, that's why you're doing it. And so often, a lot of this work, we're just kind of doing automatically. So this really, all right, no, we're stopping the train. We're stopping that automaticity. We're going to stop and say, okay, what are you doing? Articulate it to yourself. What are you learning? Articulate it to yourself. Articulate it to me. Tell me what you're learning. And then finally, like, what is the next step for you? Where do you want to go from here? But sometimes people prefer to kind of use that moment to give other folks advice if you're feeling advice giving. I love it. I love how succinct it is. One, how methodical. You can just like, these are the four questions. It's elegant is I think the best way to put it. It is simplicity. I really like that. Thanks. I owe a lot to my mentor. What are some common mistakes that people make when they're reflecting? Like I would imagine one of them is, well, I can't come up with a priority because there's just so much that's important to me that I want to work on. There's like A, B, C, and D, right? I would, especially as physicians, like, you know, we're perfectionists by nature. So you're, you're not going to be able to isolate it to one thing, but that's just what comes to my mind. What are some common mistakes that you see people making when they're trying to reflect? I think one of the easy things to do is start to beat yourself up, like kind of to your point, because when you reflect and you figure out that you need to be doing something different than you have been doing it, I think it's a Maya Angelou quote, like when you knew better, you did better. So like you can't look back and be upset at yourself for doing something a certain way, because once you figured out you had to do better, you did it better. That's something that's very easy to do is be very cool to ourselves. Another thing that people do is maybe stop a little bit short of explaining their thinking enough. Like someone will ask a very, very common question. It's like, well, what could I have done differently? Differently, like depending on what? Differently if what was your priority? You know, keep finishing that thought, you know. What could you have done differently if my goal was to blah, blah, blah? You get better at doing it over time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Let's dive right in. Yeah, you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Dr. Bradley Block, what is an issue or a problem in patient-physician communication or patient education that you have been facing? My main goal, I guess, has been to tackle efficiency, not just communicating well, but communicating well efficiently, because it's important to me that I'm respectful of the patient who's in front of me. I want to make sure we cover everything that they want to cover in a reasonable time frame. But also, I want to be respectful of the people in their waiting room and their time and the people waiting at home trying to make appointments. Because if we let people fill as much space as they want, there's not going to be time for the people in the waiting room and the people at home to make appointments. So efficiency, 
without sacrificing doing it well? That's a big issue. And ever since I first started talking to folks in the health sector, one of the first things that people are going to say is, but I only have 10 minutes. You know, I only have 15 minutes. I have a 10 minute podcast series. I only have such a short amount of time, you know, and that in itself can be just alarming, just an unbelievable amount of work that you're supposed to do in an unbelievably short amount of time, complicated issues, enormous institutional pressures anyhow. So it makes sense. I can get why efficiency is something that's got to be top of mind for a lot of people. So how have you been facing? I mean, probably there's many things that you've been doing to face this issue of efficiency. But what would you like to talk about? Thinking back, how have you faced the problem of trying to be more efficient in your communication? First, I started consuming podcasts to try and learn how to be a more effective and efficient communicator. And then I ended up creating this podcast where it's not everything we cover, but it's a lot of what we cover. And it's the main impetus for me to create it to begin with. So that's how I faced it. It sounds ridiculous now that I'm saying it out loud, but how did you face this communication challenge that you had? Well, I created a podcast and I've devoted the last five (laughs) years or so to it, but yeah, that's how I did it. And there's something enormously courageous about that. We talked about Rosh Lindar earlier, and he also had a similar impetus. He's like, this is a thing I don't know. It is so important to me. I am going to educate myself and I'm going to do it in a specific way. I'm going to consult experts, but I'm going to ask them to talk with me. I'm going to ask them to tell me their stories. And that sounds like something that you have done, but it's enormously brave because you're putting yourself out there. You're not just having these conversations in the privacy of your own home. You're going public with this. Yes. Which has never been an issue for me until my patients find it. And then I'm like, oh, what did you hear me say? And it doesn't happen that often. (laughs) You know, I never know which one they happen to listen to. You know, I never know what I end up saying because You know, sometimes what I talk about is my own fallibility and the challenges that I'm having. So if my patients listen, oh, he's having these challenges, but nobody's ever taken it that way. Everyone's always been like, oh, wow, he's trying to improve himself. So, you know, they take it as it is, as it's meant to be, which has been nice. What do you think you've learned? I mean, you've been doing this for five years, almost six years now. I'm sure there's quite a lot of learnings that you've had about communication. I'm sure you've learned a lot about your patients. You might, it sounds like you've learned some things about yourself. Do you want to talk about any of those? The surprising thing that I learned is because I think if I go back to like a specific episode, yes, I mean, you know, each one, nonverbal communication. And the one we talked about before the show is that we develop these heuristics, these spiels that we, you know, so we can kind of like shut off our brain and just talk. And rather than doing that, you know, actually using that extra bandwidth to read the room and improve each visit. You know, I could go into each one and boil it down, but I think one of the surprising things that I've learned from doing the show and then incorporating what I've learned into the exam room is that it can actually make the visit more cognitively taxing for me, not less so. Because if I didn't care and, you know, I just went about the visit and I listened and I examined the patient, I told them what it was going to be. And like the old school paternalistic way, this is how it's going to be. I'm not taking any emotional baggage away from that. But because it's so important to me that each visit goes well, and I'm trying to incorporate all of these different things that I've learned into each visit, it's a lot. It's a lot. And even though it's made me more efficient and it's made me better, 
It's also, you know, the goalpost never stops moving. And it's my goalpost that I've set for myself. It never stops moving. So I've moved it further away. And therefore, like, I have to be better. And so now I'm trying to incorporate this stuff. So then I have to be even better. And it just, the goalpost, it's always out of reach. But, you know, that's most visits end up going really well and are not that challenging. But then those challenging ones really, they end up being more emotionally taxing. Thanks for that. And thanks for that honesty. And again, a lot of courage and a lot of bravery there because I can only imagine how much pressure there is on you to at least seem like you've got it all figured out, to sound like you've got it all figured out. I know that in my years now in the health sector, I've witnessed this kind of feeling that there is a right way to do things. I understand medicine has to be standardized in a lot of ways, but we also understand people aren't standardized. There seems to be like an inherent tension in there that I think people maybe are getting more comfortable talking about a little bit. But I hear you saying, oh, no, I'm absolutely in that tension. Like, I'm absolutely willing to say, I'm not perfect at this job. And the perfection itself is kind of a pressure that I could do without. Thank you very much. But I'm willing to constantly make myself a little bit uncomfortable by moving those goalposts because you realize that there's something else you need to learn. And if that's not something to celebrate, I don't know what is. This is what reflective practice does. It draws us deeper into our work because there's so much in medicine and healthcare and public health that takes people away from their work. I mean, I'm applauding you on just deciding that you're going to go down this path of your own learning, even if you have to forge the path yourself every step of the way. And when you find out that, oh, it doesn't just automatically make things easier, does make them richer. It does have, at least for me, like there's enormous satisfaction as much as there is an emotional toll to be paid to you when you are deeply engaged in the work. It takes it out of you, which is why also I think the show that you're having is a great idea because you have surrounded yourself with a community and a community of people who give a damn about some of the same important things. And so when I'm working with clients, that's something that I'm advocating. Do not do this work alone. So I teach people how to, if they want me to, I teach them how to begin communities of practice because this work is hard. It's hard doing what you do. It's hard being reflexive. It's hard advancing equity, but we're not in it alone and we shouldn't be in it alone. And I think we all know it's a marathon. So building that community around it is absolutely an essential part of the work. And you knew that and you did that. What are your next steps? What's next for you? Or if you would like, you know, give a word of advice to folks who are feeling the efficiency pressures. So you just said something that I actually want to discuss a little more. And you said community, right? Because I have found podcasting can be lonely. Right. We're alone in a room, right? It's just you and I, you know, we developed this rapport, but then we may never communicate after this, you know, see each other online and like each other's stuff. And then it's on to the next interview. And then it's on to the next, on to the next interview. So it's just these brief connections with community. Something that I'm trying to build is a community around the podcast where it's not just people that I'm interviewing, but I am bringing on guest hosts, you know, and then we can bounce ideas off of each other and to try and build a small community around the podcast that's not just 
a one-person show, but rather uh, a collaborative effort because we're tribal, we're social, we need our people. And so to do something by yourself can be very lonely. Another thing I found about podcasting, not about doctor-patient communication, about podcasting, it can be lonely. That's, you know, trying to build this community is something that wasn't really answering your question. I still want to get to that question, but I think when you said that, it really resonated with me. I'm glad you did, too. And I think, you know, it's not like there's a right way and a wrong way to reflect. I'm just, I've put up certain guide rails, and I think you took the spirit of the question. And I'm glad that you grabbed that noticing. I'm glad that you were like, okay, hang on, there's something there. I want to turn the conversation to this for a moment. Because usually when you've got that strong of a read about something, it's professionally important. It's personally important. So do you have a next step? Do you have something that you have in mind that you want to do next? Well, so for the show, I'm having guest hosts. You know, I'm trying to build the podcast into something, not just a platform for me to get my questions answered, but I rather than it be in the Brad Block show, it's going to be Physician's Guide to Doctoring. So we're going to have people with questions that I don't have that need to be answered that I haven't thought of, perspectives different than mine. You know, we've already had some episodes, and I am plan on helping people to find their voices and give them a platform so they can do the same thing. We'll see where it goes. So advice for people who are facing the efficiency pressure. You're not saying everyone should go out there and start a podcast series. No. <laughs> no, but there are resources out there in and out of medicine. And so that's what I found. You know, I found people that come from like the networking world or the sales world or the dating world or, you know, these other places where they're experts in communication. I've had them on the show to help with that very specific doctor-patient interaction. You know, just as you and I started five and six years ago, there have been lots of other podcasts and blogs and such that have sprouted out. And so there are resources out there you can find. So if you're having issues with efficiency, one, know that you can improve because what I hear from some people is, this is how I am. The Carol Dweck school of life is like, you can do it better. You might not ever be the best in the world. And you might be comparing yourself to someone who started the game at third base, if those euphemisms work. But don't do that. But you can be better than you are. And if you don't try to improve, you're never going to improve. But you can. Because I hear from physicians all the time, this is how I am. It's not going to change. There's no point in trying. And that's just the completely wrong way to think about it. You can improve. You just need to try. You need to be methodical about it. And you really need to, as you say, reflect. What are the things that are really weighing down my efficiency? And it might be something simple, like get your cell phone out of the room. Don't open up your email on your screen. Like what are the distractions? Stop talking about yourself so much to the patients, right? There are things that we do that we really should be able to reflect on, like what is occupying so much time in my visit and ask someone for advice. Because if you have like a medical assistant or a PA or a nurse or a partner or someone who sees you seeing patients, they might be able to tell you as long as you're ready to hear it, because you need to reflect and you need to figure it out because it's there and you can improve upon it. Absolutely. Reach out to your colleagues, even just one colleague. I love that, Brad. And then they can turn around and ask the same of you. You know, can you just observe me for a little bit? And what do you see here? You know, how do you see me spending my time? It's not an error hunt. It's not a free for all. It's a here's what I see. 
Here's what I think, you know, jumps to mind when I look at across the day of all the cases that I saw you deal with. Here's something that leaped out to me. Take it for what it's worth. You know, done in a friendly spirit, done with support, done with the idea that we're trying to grow as professionals. It's absolutely doable, but it does take some bravery. You got to be willing to listen to what might be perceived as criticism. If you're genuine about your pursuit of improvement, it's necessary. Thanks for this. Those are the four questions that I asked my guests. You did great. That was wonderful. <laughs> I really <laughs> enjoyed it. And some of the stuff I hadn't, you know, realized that I was going to take it there. So, you know, going through that process was really helpful. I'm glad. I mean, I'm incredibly grateful to my guests. I know you are for yours too, because they do. They take us places that we didn't know we were going to go. And it's something to let your personal thoughts about your professional life air out in a kind of public forum that now we can't change. You know, it's out there. It's on the Internet. and It could be quoted back to us at any time. <laughs> yes, yeah. I've gotten a little more relaxed about what I talk about about myself and my own reflection on my episodes. And there is some, you know, wounds that sometimes spill out onto the airwaves, but it's actually ends up feeling better when they're out there. That's part of the work, too, and part of why it's important to build the community that you're talking about. I'm thrilled to hear such awareness and also such willingness to have, hey, let's take a slightly different look at this issue. Let's look at communication a little bit differently than we had. I think everyone that I'm talking to, right, in our kind of community, the one size fits all doesn't really work. How was I talking about it with someone saying that, like, as you mentioned earlier, I knows it's paternalistic and is trying to shift toward more shared decision making. We need to make sure that we're getting all of that paternalism out of the communication. And there's lots of it. There's layers deep, man, layers deep. But I'm glad the conversation is one and people are on board for because it does hold us back. We don't need to have some of that old legacy ways of working that you were talking about before. The worst reason to do something is because that's the way it's always been done. And especially with something like this. Absolutely. Especially when we're trying to talk about health equity as well, which I always do. Wonderful. So if people want to find health communication partners, if they want to find the podcast, where do they find you? So this show is called 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication, and it's on the major platforms and a whole bunch of aggregators as well. And our website, the fastest way is h-cpartners.com, h-cpartners.com, but you can also just put in health communication partners. And we've got hybrid courses and consulting is generally most of our jam. So Amazing. Amazing. Well, Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel, thank you so much for your time and your podcast and your contributions to medicine. Dr. Black, thank you for having me on the show and thank you for the work that you do in the world. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit PearsonRavitz.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. 
even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice, or financial advice, or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.